This morning's scripture is in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. This is God's word. Whenever I read that, I will put this one back up. Came on? Okay, it was you. It was, it's not me, Brian, it's you. No, it's you. That's good. Um, so I was on the staff of the church in Orlando, and we, uh, during the, after the first service, it was the early days of these mics, except it was one of those, one of those lapel mics they put on. And I just forgot completely about it, and I was not used to having one, because I wasn't the regular, I didn't speak regularly. And so, uh, after I'd preached the sermon, you know, it's on, and at the 8 o'clock service, it was mostly elderly people, and we really didn't have anybody man- manning the soundboard. So you know, you know what happened, right? I walked out after, there was a few minutes they used communion each week, and so, I was not the one to do communion. So I stepped outside, and people were coming for the second service. Mike never went off. So inside this big sanctuary, my voice is blaring through the speakers with my banter with people in the parking lot. Older gentleman runs out into the thing. Hey, we can hear everything you're saying. Well, of course, what are you thinking? What was I saying? Right? Was I, did you see the lady's dress in the third row? What was I talking about? Like, and I was like, oh, thank the Lord. I think everything I was saying was, it was like meaningless. It wasn't like something I would be ashamed of. But boy, it's always struck me if the word of God is true and every, you know, it says every word, not in this section, but Matthew 12, it says every word, every unaccounted word. So like, okay, I better think about my words. God thinks they're super important, right? So whenever I think about what you whisper in the inner rooms, that's not really what Jesus is talking about here, but I always think about that. So we'll get to what he's, I think he's really getting at with, with these verses, but, um, as we as we wander through, Brian, are you okay with it through here now? Okay. So um, as we go through Luke, remember we have shifted from the first half of Luke, the first nine chapters. The answer, the question is, who is Jesus Christ? And Luke is pointing again and again in these first nine chapters up to 951, the, the emphasis, who is Jesus and he sh- tells stories, he shows how people respond and figure out or don't figure out, who is this guy? He is the Messiah. It culminates with this, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, right? Now we've shifted to 
what does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus is now, remember, walking the road to Jerusalem. That's a big shift in this book. He's now headed for what he knows will be his destiny, his death, his resurrection. He's aware of this, and he's going, and he's telling his disciples, literally on the road, what does it mean to follow me? Walk this road with me. And we're going to see throughout these next chapters, what does it mean for us to walk the road with Jesus? So... One of the things I want us to begin to note as we look through and continue through this gospel, and really all through the gospels, is Jesus' response to two different types of people. The first is those who acknowledge their need. We've talked about this multiple times, but Jesus is running to people who know they need him. Those who are crushed by sin, those who are caught in sin, that would strike us like, and this isn't in Luke, it's in John, but the woman caught in adultery. What was Jesus' response to her? It's not that he washed over her sin, but he was so compassionate. One of the things that makes Jesus compelling is his attitude toward people who are crushed and caught by sin or who are struggling with normal human issues or incredible difficulty with disease and death. And he's just at the heart of being compassionate for that. Those who Jesus has the harshest words for, and we this is part of this section, though I didn't have Tiffany read it, I want us to look. If you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 12, and then move back to the end of chapter 11 with me, because this is what's often called the woes, the woes to the Pharisees and the lawyers. These were the most religious people. They were, in their minds, trying to obey the law and do the best they could with their religious work, than anyone else, and they were well-respected in the community for that reason. But Jesus had the harshest words for them. So I just want to point out a couple of things, because the context of what we're going to see in Luke 12 that we did read today comes from this. So beginning at verse 37 of Luke 11, I want to read a couple of these and point out a couple of the things that Jesus looks at, because frankly, I'm, I'm, I can be a lot like this. He says in Luke uh, 11.37, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine, so he went in and reclined. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he didn't first wash before dinner. There was a ritual hand-washing that the Pharisees had added to Scripture. And so the Lord said, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. What's he saying? Well, it's it's not that hard to understand. He says you worry about what's happening on the outside and you neglect what's on the inside. He goes on in the next section to say you're really diligent to tithe, Even herbs, like you gather ten sprigs of mint and you make sure you give one into the, you know, to the priest or whatever. He says you shouldn't neglect that, but then you totally neglect justice and loving God. So you're so worried about the outside while not dealing with what's on the inside. One of the things I think about in this is that sometimes I think as Christians, if you're a Christian, there can easily be the thing that struck us when I first got saved, what we've looked at is the theme of Luke and really the theme of the gospel. Luke 5 says it's not healthy people that I've come for that need a doctor. It's sick people. Are you sick? And one of the things that 
just changed my life was when I realized I needed a Savior. I was raised in the church, but I thought I was pretty doggone good guy. I mean, God was pretty lucky to have me on his team as far as I was concerned. And it wasn't until I got, I'm sick. I, I have a selfish heart. I want what I want. I'm not a Christian. Even though I could recite more Bible verses than Christians I knew and went to church and, you know, because of the house I grew up in, I, I didn't love God. I didn't pursue God. I didn't hunger for the things of God. If you don't hunger for the things of God, you ought to really look at where is your heart. And I'm not saying you're not a Christian or you are, but, but one of the marks of a Christian should be you would, you should long for the presence of God, the Word of God, the things of God. And if they're like, that's eh, fine, take it or leave it, this is sort of what Jesus was saying, because the Pharisees could take or leave the inner things of God, but they were all about the outer things. Later in Luke, the same theme is going to come up, and, and Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to do what? Seek and save what? The lost. And here's the question. I've he's, he's found me. I have come into relationship with him. So do these verses meaningless to me at this point? Like, you know, I, I'm not sick in the same way I was where sin controlled me outright. Where I was hiding everything and doing awful things and pretending. I'm not there anymore. So do these verses, that like, well, that's my past? I think one of the things we need to come to grips with, in case you don't realize, is I've noticed a sin or two continues to go on in my life. Maybe you're, Maybe not yours. But sin still has power over us in a sense. It doesn't have ultimate power over us, praise God. But we still wrestle with sin. This is the book of Romans. We are still wrestling with sin. And so this idea that, um, well, yeah, he came to seek and save the lost, but I'm not lost anymore, I'm found. Well, we can, I think, I can at least fall into the trap of the Pharisees where then I clean up on the outside and I look good. And the temptation is, as Christians are often stereotyped, is, oh, everything's fine, it's all good. But then when nobody's watching, what, what are my eyes going to? What are my ears listening to? Am I immersing myself? Am I, uh, your, your heart can grow cold and be a Christian. It can happen. Luther, when, in, when he posted the 95 Thesis that changed, you know, arguably one of the most important things that happened in the Reformation beginning and, and that springing to life, the very first one, very first of the 95 Thesis is when Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Ongoing repentance. And in that, you know what it means? It means my need for God and my love for God continues because I see every day how much I need him. It's not that I was where I was before I was a Christian, but for my heart to stay tender and not become pharisaical, I need to remember how much I need him every day. Okay, so Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, his criticism of them. You're cleaning up on the outside. You don't care about the inside. Sort of a corollary to that is you worry about the small nitpicky details and you totally miss the big picture, the loving God, justice to others, loving other people. You miss it. And then... The third and the last one I'll point to, there's, there's several things, but he says, you do things to be noticed by others for your standing in other people's eyes. 
You do things with the motivation to be noticed. And we see this throughout where people say you stand up to, you know, so people pray, you, you want to be seen by your prayers. And, you know, I think it would be easy for me to say, and I'll say, well, I don't do that. I mean, of course, it's my job to stand up and pray and preach and all that, but that's a little different ball. Yeah. I don't notice a lot of us standing on street corners praying loudly that people would notice us. And yet, what are, what am I doing when no one's watching? And by that I mean, is our prayer time only when we're with somebody else? Would we only study the Bible if we're doing it with a group? Is there anything that is ours that we think, you know, it doesn't matter if anybody's around. This is for my love of God and God's love for me. This is a way I think we can really ruthlessly judge where we are is what are we doing when it doesn't matter if anybody knows. No one's going to know what I did Tuesday at 9 9 p.m. if they're around or not around. My wife's the only one usually who's around to see or not see. Is my is my life such that what's happening when it doesn't count because no one notices, is it still reflective of God? And Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees was, you do the things in public, people can see you, but in private, you're dead. So then we lead into what Tiffany read for us this morning. So look at verse 12. Thousands, it says, people were just, this is Jesus walking to Jerusalem and crowds pressing in, and he is just the social media buzz of his day, and everything is just, people are gripped by him. And he turns to his disciples in the midst of this chaotic situation, and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then what I've talked about at the beginning, nothing's covered up that won't be revealed or hidden that won't be known. Therefore, what you've said in the dark shall be heard in the light, What you've whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So leaven, I was, I should have, I forgot to bring it in, but you know, just yeast, right? Leaven changes everything around it. It's just a little pack of Fleischmann's leaven or whatever we get at the store, right? And it changes the whole atmosphere of the bread, whether it's, you know whether you've put leaven in bread or not, don't you? You know, each of us know if the life of God is within us or not. Leaven is sometimes used in a negative sense and sometimes in a positive sense. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little sin, just a little bit, think, ah, it's all right. It's not my whole life. It leavens you. The love of God, a true relationship with God, it leavens you. It comes before you. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is what we think of it as, saying one thing and doing another, and and the the Pharisees are criticized for that. But the bigger, Joel Green, who's a a commentator on Luke, says there's a bigger picture of hypocrisy, which is simply not being interested in the things God is interested in. You're interested in the things that you're interested in. He says for Christians, that's a form of hypocrisy. That we are to be interested in the things, what God prioritizes, what God thinks is important, we think is important. And he says, the Pharisees, you're very religious, but you don't have anything, you have no knowledge of the heart of God. Christians, and maybe rightly so sometimes, criticize for the same reasons. That's up to us as a body and individuals to see. But that's the challenge. Jesus', Jesus words for them are, are very stark and harsh. And 
this idea of covering up, and I think it's good to remember that whatever you say, you know, just imagine, would you be fine to have it chowdered on the housetops? That's a good reminder of being guarded with our words. But look at what he ties it into. Look at where he's going with this. He says, and these words taken out of context can can paint a picture of God that's ugly, and people do. And people see God like this. But let me read you this, just on its face. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do to you. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Now, you take those two verses and just like, if that's all you knew about God, it really sounds like you want to see bad. (laughs) You think people who are going to you know, persecute you and torture you are bad? Wait, you get, God gets a hold of you. That's going to be bad. But that belies the true meaning. It's not the meaning here. How do, why do I say that? Well, first of all, it's the only time in the book of Luke he uses the very tender word philios, friends. He refers to the concept, but he never calls his disciples friends except in that sentence. That's a strange thing. If you think about the words he's saying... Persecution is coming. John the Baptist had been beheaded. They all knew that. They talked about it. He was on his way to be killed. He told them that, and and he was aware he was going. He knew the fate of his followers, which was going to be persecution and death. So he was a realist in that. And he says to them, look, don't be afraid. And some of the most tender words Jesus speaks in this whole gospel are right here. He said, dear friends, you, you know, you, it's natural probably, it's human to be afraid of suffering and challenge. But I'm telling you, you've got to live in relationship to the bigger story here. Which is, it's no doubt it's going to be really hard. And we don't like to hear that. And I don't like to hear it. Believe me, I don't love talking about it. But the Bible promises those who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't know what your persecution will look like. Now, if you want to go along to get along and have everybody love you and kind of the gospels in the background, you may you may not. I'm not saying you have to be offensive. You don't. At some point, there will come a time when it will cost you for being a Christian because of the stands you take, because of your faith. And... I haven't really suffered persecution much. Our culture has been very good to me. <laughs> and that may be changing. I don't know. But I felt like one of the words for this year is just get ready, believers. Our, our, our umbrella of safety in terms of people thinking what we believe is really positive seems to be shifting a bit under us. And again, we don't have to be, I, I would say this to you as I, as he said, don't be afraid. Because you know what? You will sense the presence of God when you're with him in the fire. Like you won't necessarily sense it when you're with him in the ocean. In a nice ocean. Maybe in a stormy ocean. You know what I'm saying? Right? I hope. Um, practically, read, read an autobiography or two of some people who have really suffered for their faith. And what you will find is it's, it's hard to read in one sense. But the ones who've walked through it faithfully, it's amazing to see how much they sense the presence of God with them. So, how does this tie in to what he just said? Well, he says this, look, 
beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That, you know, what's inside them, we don't really know. We see the outside looks good, but the inside is rotten. What's going to bring it out? What's going to show what's on the inside? And I think what Jesus is doing is tying this together and says, hey, when the, when the things get tough, we'll see what, we'll see what people are made of. We'll see. Persecution will reveal character. It will shape your character in some extent, but way better. Challenging times will reveal your character. That's true of life and in, not only in your faith, but just generally. We want to see, if, do we crumble when things get hard? Whether it's in our relationships or marriages or in our jobs, does it just crumble or do we, what's in there will be revealed with difficulty. And Jesus is saying this, and this is why I want to end. This is relatively short. The most tender words, he says, look, I tell you, friends, don't fear what's going to come. They didn't know. These apostles didn't really have much of a clue yet what was coming. He says, don't fear. Fear God. Live in relationship to God. He's much mightier than this. And yes, he has ability to, to kill and throw into hell. It's, there, there is a true depth of awesomeness to God that is both awesome giving and fearful in a sense. But he says this, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? That was the, that would be in the temple, right? Where they were giving a sacrifice, the poorest of the sacrifices. You'd buy two sparrows and sacrifice them for your sins. Just two pennies. Not one of that is forgotten. When they give that sacrifice, the Lord under that system would see and forgive for a teeny bit. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. All jokes aside, I know God doesn't have a lot to do, but... He knows mine as well as he knows some of yours. You're keeping God busier than I am, but he knows exactly where you are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows it. Hear this. You are so valuable to God. Listen to that. Put this in your heart. You are so valuable to God. It's not that he, like, oh, got to number their hairs again. He knows everything about you. The ugliest parts, the best parts, and he adores you. He adores you. And he wants you to be with him and live your life in relationship to him. And he knew, Jesus knew that these apostles, these disciples were going to suffer. And he was going to suffer. He says, my friends, don't be afraid. You are of such value to me. Yes, it's going to be hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be really hard. But you see, the bigger story is when the scrolls pulled back and all this facade is gone away and you see Jesus Christ face to face, whether it's through your death or His coming again, and it's all made new, and all this crud that we live in is gone, and COVID is a memory, and all the decay around us is a memory, it's all going to make sense. 
And the reason we know that is because Jesus Christ came and he walked through the road. He lived the life you should have lived. We, I should have lived. He died the death you and I deserve. And he rose again. And he's now saying, you're so valuable to me. Don't diverge from the path. Embrace me. Embrace the gospel. Embrace it. Yes, there'll be persecution. The world's going to hate you. The devil hates it. Life is harder as a Christian in many respects than as a non-Christian because we live in the wrong world. This isn't the world you were built to live in if you're a Christian. It is the world you were built to live in if you're not a Christian. This is the world you were built for. Well, in a sense, we're all in the image of God, so I'll, I'll modify that. But there's a better there's a better world, and it's not heaven like far away, clouds, boring. It's the world as it was intended to be. It's Eden. The Lord loves you so much that He's willing to tell you the truth. He's willing to walk the road for you and with you. He's not leaving you, and you will know Him when you walk with Him in a way you never will if you just try to make it easy. As we go on with the, with Luke, just to give you a little pointer of where we're headed, is that I want you to read the rest of, of uh, Luke 12 and 13, because we're going to move fairly quickly through this with these thoughts in mind of what we've just talked about, because so much of what we're relating about the parable of the rich fool who, you know, guards his riches. What does that mean in light of what we've just talked about? It matters nothing if it's taken away. Acknowledging Christ before men, because he'll acknowledge us if we acknowledge him. Read the rest of 12 and 13 in light of what Jesus has just told them. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we do not have to be afraid. Though you understand it when we are. Later on, you're going to say in this gospel, don't be afraid, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to just give you the kingdom. Lord, we live in a world that barters in fear. It's the way they motivate us to do all kinds of things. And you say reject that. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. That we wouldn't be slaves to fear. That we wouldn't let it rule and reign in our hearts. And yet the peace of Christ. Lord, make us a different sort of people. With the outside of our cup, sometimes broken, sometimes marred, we allow it to be seen. That we're willing to let our sins be known because the inside of the cup we see needs to be cleansed. Let justice, let the love of God rule and reign inside of us so that it changes the outside. Thank you for each one here. I thank you for those watching on Facebook Live. Reach in now. You know what we need. You know where each one of us are. I don't. Help us to get real with you, Lord. Help us not to play games so that we would be impassioned for you. I'm just going to ask you to just take a minute. Just talk to God in your own heart. Just Speak with him about anything going on, and then we're going to close.